I really felt like I was going mad really felt that I was going mad. It felt very lonely. I felt like the only person in the world who was experiencing it. Um, I felt really useless and hopeless and worthless for feeling like that. I think it's about 20% of women who are um, really restricted by their symptoms. You know, they give up their jobs. They can't do the things they used to do. They feel anxious and depressed. About 20 of us sail through happy days, no periods, no contraception, what's the problem? And most people are somewhere in the middle. So for me, yeah, I've noticed my memory's worse. Um, gosh, what else have I noticed? Hello, this is Mother's Matter podcast with Claire Pay, the podcast which talks about why mothers matter and what matters to mothers. Um, today, we're talking much more about what matters to mothers because we're talking about uh, menopause. And I'm delighted to be uh, talking with Diane Danzebrink, who is the founder of Menopause Support and the driving force behind the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign. And then I'm also talking with Rachel Weiss, who's the founder of the Menopause Cafes, and she's written for a chapter for a new book called Emboldened, Menopause Conversations We All Need to Have. Uh, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to mention the links again, and I'll put the links in on the Facebook page and hopefully in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Diane, thank you very much for taking the time to to chat with me today because I know you're very busy with your your various campaigns. Um, well, with your main campaign, um, and let's start by talking about that. What is um, well, not so much the campaign, but what is it? Uh, what is menopause support that you you set up that didn't you? Yeah, I did. So um, so I um, am by you know kind of by profession, I am a professional therapist. Um, and my own experience of menopause was pretty awful. Um, and it really made me look at how many people were struggling with menopause and not getting the right advice and support. Um, so I did some nurse training in menopause and combined that with my own with my own work and started supporting women specifically going through menopause um, and that was great but it just wasn't reaching it, it didn't have enough reach as far as the amount of women that I wanted to be able to help um, so initially menopause support which is now a not-for-profit community interest organization um, it started on my kitchen table and it was really mainly about sharing factual evidence-based information um, now it's it's much more than that now um, now we have all sorts of resources that are available on the website we do one-to-one -one consultations um, we're just about to take on somebody else to do one-to-one -one consultations alongside me we're also about to start doing specifically one-to-one -one consultations around the urinary and vaginal symptoms of menopause that can be so invasive for so many people and we also do webinars and training 
for businesses and organisations raising awareness around menopause. Um, so, as I say, it started on my kitchen table. It's it's a lot more than it was, but essentially our main aim is still the same. It's really about sharing as much factual, non-biased, evidence-based information about menopause, whether that is to women, to men, to employers. Um, we've got a project going on that we're trying to kick off at the moment, um, which is around helping with the delivery of education in schools because thanks to everybody that signed the Make Menopause Matter campaign, um, we now have menopause on the curriculum in schools. So the other sort of part of menopause support is the national campaign. So that's the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign. And I launched that in 2018 um, on World Menopause Day in Parliament. And that was with cross-party support from MPs. And the campaign really has three main aims. The first one is to have mandatory menopause education for all our GPs, because that currently isn't the case, um, to have menopause support in every workplace. And it was to have menopause included in the new RSE curriculum. And as I say, I'm delighted that we've managed to achieve that already in England, but we're hoping that Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland will follow. Um, I think we've got, I think the last time I checked, we've got about 122,000 signatures on that petition. So hopefully, you know, sort of today we'll see more people go along <laughs> and sign and share the petition. Um, and yeah, we essentially we'll just keep working for that because it's so important that people have the right information at the right time. What are you actually going to be teaching in schools? So, well, we're not, it's not us that are going to be teaching. So what happens is the um, Secretary of Education is the person who, you know, sort of informed that it was going to be on the curriculum. Um, but I understand, having done some research on this from those who are going to be tasked with teaching it, that it will be, it's basically down to each school. Um, but what I would certainly like to see is that there is some sort of, you know, set curriculum for how it's taught, because I think it's quite tricky for teachers just to be, you know, kind of told, well, you need to teach about menopause now without having any kind of framework to do that in. Um, and I also think that it's really important that menopause in schools is taught in a way that young people want to learn about it, that they'll be engaged with it. So we're currently doing some work on that. It, it, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but there, there is going to be something um, that, you know, that we're working on to ensure that, it's taught in an age-appropriate way and it's taught in an engaging way where young people will actually engage with the information. Could we um, talk a bit about your your experience of menopause? Because you said it was quite a traumatic time for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I essentially, I was sort of plunged into menopause when I was 44 um, I had, for a few months before, I had not been feeling particularly well. 
Um, and not a great one for going to the doctors, but eventually my husband persuaded me to go to the doctors. Um, long story short, it actually turned out that I was going to need surgery. Um, they actually thought that I had ovarian cancer. Um, my mother had had ovarian cancer 20 or so years before. Um, and when my scans were looked at, it was clear that I had complex cysts on both of my ovaries. Um, it actually turned out that I had very severe endometriosis. Um, so the, you know, the sensible way forward was for me to have a total hysterectomy. So that was my womb, both my ovaries, fallopian tubes and my cervix. Um, nobody, unfortunately, sat down with me prior to my surgery and explained the potential consequences of living without estrogen at the age of 44. Um, so I had my surgery. The uh, gynae came and saw me afterwards and said that she was pretty sure that she had done the surgery, in her words, just in time. Um, she told me that I had very severe endometriosis. I also had adenomyosis um, and a massive fibroid. Um, and essentially two days later, I was on my way home with no counseling about, you know, hormone replacement therapy, the potential consequences. Um, and I was just told to go and see my doctor in several weeks time. Um, so I sat on the sofa for a few weeks, watched the London Olympics, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, sort of I had heard really scary things about HRT, and I'd also heard that it was animal-derived, and I was not keen on any of those things. Um, and this was all really from what I'd heard about it 20 years before when my mother um, had her surgery. And I'd pretty much decided I was basically going to go, you know, herbs, vitamins and minerals. Um, booked myself an appointment. I did see the GP, um, but it wasn't a very informative session. Um, we, she mentioned HRT once. I said, I don't think it's for me. And unfortunately, she didn't give me any more information. That was the end of the conversation. Um, I then booked myself a private appointment with a private nutritionist in London and went to see her. And she was pretty sure that she could help me. Um, so she basically said, okay, um, this is what you need. She gave me seven pots of different vitamins and minerals. Um, I hate swallowing tablets, <laughs> so I was not happy. Um, went, took them home, religiously took them. Um, and actually for sort of three months or so, didn't feel too bad. Um, but then things started to go wrong very quickly. My anxiety was terrible. Um, I was having panic attacks during the night. I was becoming agoraphobic, wouldn't leave the house. Um, my husband was becoming more and more concerned about my mental health. Um, I'd stopped work um, and we actually had to import my mum 
to come and stay with me while my husband went to work because he was so worried about me. So your your symptoms you were getting so bad with your anxiety and everything that your you know your yep. mother had to come and look after you because uh, so it was a real mental yeah, it had a real mental effect on you as well on your mental health. Yeah, the, absolutely a huge effect on my mental health. Um, my mother and husband kept trying to persuade me to go back to the doctors. I was terrified of doing that because I thought I would be put on antidepressants for the rest of my life. Um, I really felt like I was going mad, really felt that I was going mad. It felt very lonely. I felt like the only person in the world who was experiencing it. Um, I felt really useless and hopeless and worthless for feeling like that. Um, and, did, and did you when know when I tried to get help? Did, sorry, did you know what it was? Did you link it with? No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, and when I tried to get help from um, the nutritionist, she didn't know what to do, um, which really made me lose hope even more. Um, and then it got to the point where on one particular day, I just thought I am, I'm just too much trouble for everybody. It would be better if I wasn't here um, and came really close to taking my own life. Um, and then I told my husband what I'd almost done. Um, and he immediately contacted our GP practice and insisted that they see me straight away. Um, and the doctor that I saw was lovely. And she explained to me that because I'd had my ovaries removed and lost a huge amount of estrogen very quickly, that was why I was feeling the way that I was feeling and that I should have had HRT much sooner. Um, and she persuaded me that, you know, sort of this was a body identical plant derived product. It was not something I had to swallow. It was a patch that I could <laughs> stick on my skin. Um, and I started, well, I, I put the first one on as soon as I left the practice. And within a couple of days, things weren't right, but there, I could certainly feel that there might be some hope for the future. And during during that time, I had spent hours and hours at ridiculous times of the morning Googling to see if anybody else felt like me. And I had come across hundreds, probably thousands of women saying things like, I feel so alone. I feel like I'm going mad. I don't feel like me anymore. And I thought to myself, how can it possibly be that something that is for many people, a natural process, so not for me, but for many people, how can it possibly be that half of the population are going to go through this, yet so many people are struggling? And I wasn't in any state to help anybody at the time, but I just made a promise to myself that if I ever felt like me again, that I would make damn sure that I did something to change it. <laughs> and that that's where menopause support and the campaign and everything else, me talking to you, that's where all that came from. How, how long did it take for you to start feeling like you again? Probably, it probably took me, I would say, completely like me, it probably took me about six months. And 
it was continually feeling better, but to really feel like me again. I remember going back and seeing the same GP and she said, how do you feel? And I said, a lot better. And she said, but are you bouncing? <laughs> she knows what kind of person I am. And she said, are you bouncing? And I said, no. And she said, okay, so that's not you. We need to look at changing your dose again. And unfortunately for me, um, because my case was quite, quite complex, um, I did end up finally having to see a private menopause specialist to get things absolutely right. Um, that did take a while. But initially, the first, you know, it was definitely better having my patches. But it probably took about six six months to actually get me really feeling back to me. And what sort of things did they tap? What, what did they play with to get you on the right um, path? Yeah, so mainly, it was mainly my estrogen level. So I started on quite a low dose and then gradually increased, which is, you know, totally understandable. Um, but because I'd had my ovaries removed, I'd also had quite a big drop in my testosterone level. So testosterone is still very much regarded as a male hormone, when in fact, women actually make quite a lot of testosterone during their lives. Um, and it's, it's often missed, but testosterone is not just about your libido. It's also about your self-confidence. It's also about your mental clarity. It's also about your bone health, your skin health, etc., etc. So it's much more complex than but for women like me who'd had their ovaries removed or women who've gone into a very early menopause, it can be a really key part of the puzzle. That's amazing. And so what role does oestrogen play? Is, the, is it the lack of oestrogen that's the big issue in the menopause, in the bad symptoms? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it absolutely is. So during what's called perimenopause, the progesterone levels fall quite quite fast and quite hard, the estrogen levels will fluctuate. They'll peak and dip over a period of time. And that can be a period of years. So the average sort of menopausal transition from first symptom to period stopping can be anything between about four and eight years. And a lot of people are really surprised to know that perimenopause can start in the early 40s. But we have women have estrogen receptors from the top of their heads to the tip of their toes. Estrogen's involved in all kinds of actions in the body. Um, we the brain is full of estrogen receptors. You know our skin, our internal organs, our bones, our pelvic area. Estrogen has a part to play in our long-term heart, bone, and brain and pelvic health. Um, it's everywhere. So consequently, when the hormone levels start to fluctuate, it completely makes sense that the symptoms can be very varied and very different. And it's also important to say that for approximately one in four women, they'll have no symptoms whatsoever. Three out of four will and one in four will have what we call debilitating symptoms, so severely affecting quality of life. But one in four will have almost none at all. So it is a very, very different experience for each individual. 
What are, uh, what are the symptoms then generally of menopause? Because everyone talks about some of them, but, you know, there's lots more, aren't there? Mm, absolutely. So some of the, um, you know, probably the ones that everybody's heard of are hot flushes and night sweats and then the period stopping. But they really fall into three categories, which are sort of psychological, cognitive and physical. So as far as the psychological symptoms are concerned, they can be things like anxiety, low mood, mood swings, irritability, maybe feeling more tearful than you might have done. And of course, if you don't know that they can be related to menopause, you might just think that you're stressed and anxious. And of course, one of the results of that is that a lot of women will go to their doctor and say, I'm not sleeping so well, I'm feeling really anxious, I'm feeling really low, I'm more tearful than I have been. And very often they'll be diagnosed as depressed and given antidepressants when actually that's not the first line treatment for menopause because that's being caused by hormone deficiency or hormone fluctuation. But if it's not recognised by the woman and not recognised by the doctor, then they're not getting the right help. And then you've got things like cognitive symptoms. So things like people will often use the term brain fog, um, changes to memory or concentration. And of course, things like that can make people feel more anxious too, if they don't understand why they're happening. And then as far as the physical symptoms are concerned, it could be things like changes to your hair. It could be dry eyes, dry skin. Um, itchy skin is really quite common. Um, it can be things like joint aches and pains. Um, some people will experience what might be diagnosed as IBS for the first time, changes to gut health. Um, pelvic health, so things like urinary symptoms, um, running for a wee more often, repeated UTIs, vaginal symptoms, dryness, soreness, irritation. Um, for some people, they'll feel very tired, be very lacking in energy. For others, they might have heart palpitations, which again is really concerning if you don't know why it's happening. Um, at some point, periods will change maybe become more erratic, could be lighter, could be heavier, but that probably won't be the first thing that happens. Um, so there are all sorts of, there are all sorts of symptoms. We generally say, you know, kind of most lists will list between sort of 30 and 40 symptoms. But as I say, when you think that you have estrogen receptors all throughout the body, when estrogen starts to fluctuate, it completely makes sense that there could be all sorts of changes going on. But we also have to consider the potential long-term health considerations for living in a state of essentially estrogen depletion, which is where we are when we become postmenopausal. So postmenopause is 12 months without a period, so a solid 12 months without a period, it's then it's then basically called postmenopause, but for most women they'll be in that in their early fifties. Some will experience it earlier, but then we have to think about the part that estrogen plays in our long-term bone health. So if you're a man over the age of fifty, 
your potential incidence of an osteoporotic fracture as you age is one in five. If you're a woman, it's one in two, Hmm. which is really quite a shocking figure. So yes, we know that there are all sorts of health and well-being things that we can do to help ourselves. So we can look at what we eat, how much alcohol we drink, whether or not we smoke, how much weight-bearing exercise we take. But that won't help to replace the estrogen that we lose during that perimenopausal transition. Um, And then heart health, pelvic health, long-term brain health. So they're I think they're all things that I personally, for me, I would like women to have that information before perimenopause comes along so that they can make some informed decisions. That's amazing. Uh, it, it sounds to me, without being flippant, that, that a lot of those symptoms I just associate with ageing. Um, but maybe, hmm. you know, I can blame it on lack of oestrogen. Instead, I found a new villain in my armoury because, uh, you know, the brain fog, the joint aches. When you're saying um, that can happen in perimenopause, is that sort of thing then fluctuate? What what might flag it up as a perimenopausal symptom might it be that it improves that you have joint aches for a few days and they get better and they fluctuate or would it come and stay no exactly you're exactly right so fluctuation fluctuation is so if you um i can't show you because we're we're not doing this visually but if we were looking if we were looking at a graph you for some women you will see peaks and dips, which can be quite extreme, not for everybody. Sometimes they'll be gentler, but for some people, they can be quite extreme. So some one of the things that I hear on a really regular basis is, I can't understand why I feel better some days than others. I can't understand why I feel either physically or mentally better some days than others. And that's because when estrogen starts to fluctuate on this sort of erratic basis, essentially, it doesn't just fluctuate on a daily basis, it can fluctuate several times a day. So it's one of the reasons why when estrogen is being diagnosed, sorry, when menopause is being diagnosed, it's one of the reasons why the National NICE guidance tells doctors do not give blood tests for menopause to women over the age of 45 because if their hormone levels are fluctuating, if you do a blood test, you're literally taking a snapshot in time. That blood test could look completely different a few hours later. So menopause should really be diagnosed on a a conversation and maybe with a symptom checker, Um, maybe talking about what your periods are doing, but over 45, actually doing blood tests to see if you're perimenopausal is not just a waste of time, but it's also a huge waste of money. We currently waste in the UK around £10 million a year Mm. on blood tests for perimenopause that don't need to be done. Uh, uh, It seems to me that the... um, or, you know, if you're in your 40s 
almost anything could be a symptom of, of the perimenopause. So that would be the first yeah. thing you'd mention if you went to the doctor. If you're not, feeling, I'm trying to think of things that might not be symptoms of a perimenopause because there's so much that can go wrong in your body. So it all starts sort of slightly yeah. falling apart. Um, that that would be the first thing you'd say when you go to your GP. You say, "Have you looked at my age?" Now I'm going to tell you some things about myself and tell me, um, you know, persuade me why this is not the menopause or the peri. I need, I need proof it's not yeah, going to be I that. Think, yeah, mm. I think the problem is, is that, as you said, you've learned so much about it recently. Mm. And for a lot of people, they just don't have the information. So they wouldn't know that it was related to menopause. And of course, it is, it is important to say that, you know, for some of these symptoms, they could be a crossover with thyroid conditions. So if it, you know, sort of particularly for, particularly for women under the age of 45, a blood test can be useful to see if there's anything else going on. If you're a woman under the age of 40, it's absolutely vital that you have two blood tests four to six weeks apart to see if you're experiencing premature menopause or what's otherwise called premature ovarian insufficiency. Um, so, you know, there there is a place for blood tests and there is a place for a questioning, could this be something else? But I think, you know, if a woman is, you know, if a woman is in her early to mid 40s and she's suddenly having symptoms that she's never had before, then certainly from a healthcare practitioner point of view, one of the first things they should be considering is, could this possibly be menopause? And is that something that they would uh, be able to treat in the perimenopausal stage? Because if your estrogen's up and down, it might be very difficult to balance that. Yeah, absolutely. It can be because the point of giving HRT, so hormone replacement therapy, the point of giving that is essentially you're giving it at, you're not giving great doses, you're giving small doses. And it's essentially there. It's not stopping menopause happening. Menopause is still going on. Your natural hormone levels are still fluctuating. But it's about putting a level in that means that you're not feeling the effects of the peaks and the troughs that are going on. So it's really about stabilizing. Um, but there's a myth that giving HRT during perimenopause is essentially stopping menopause happening. And that's absolutely not true. Um, you know, I regularly hear from women who say, oh, well, my GP said that even if it is menopause, I can't have HRT until I've stopped my periods or I'm too young. Um, Essentially, if somebody is symptomatic, then as they would for anything else, those people should receive what is considered to be at least the option of first-line treatment. Are there other treatments other than HRT that people use as well, or is HRT the main, the main treatment? So, so HRT is described in NICE guidance as the first line. So that's, you know, kind of that should be the first, the first option. And this should all be about patients having informed choice. So this should be about women being able to know what it is, how safe it is, what options they have, because HRT is not one thing. It's about 30 different products. Um, 
and about them having an informed conversation with their doctor so that they can then decide the best way forward for them. So first line should be hormone replacement therapy. Um, There are other things that GPs can prescribe. So there are some of the antidepressant medications that can help with things like hot flushes. Um, and GPs, some GPs, depending on the area that you're in, some can refer for things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, it's not going to, it's not going to treat your symptoms, but it might help you to manage some of your symptoms. So that can be useful for some people. There's a, an absolute plethora of alternatives out there. Um, You know, you only have to walk into any chemist at the moment to see that menopause is very big business because there are constantly new products coming out. Um, There, again, there isn't a one size fits all product. Um, And if there was, everybody would be using it. But this is really about people understanding that what is going on is this fluctuating estrogen level and then this falling away of estrogen is what's causing the symptoms and then the considerations for long-term health. So, you know, for some people, they might know all the information and they might decide that's not the way for me. I would like to try to treat my symptoms a different way. Um, If you're having very, very mild symptoms, then there could be other options for you. Um, I always say to people, if you're you're looking at going the herb, vitamin and mineral route, I really suggest seeing a professional who knows what they're doing. Um, So I will often point people towards a medical herbalist um, just because I've seen so many people, you know, kind of walk in to me with bagfuls of vitamins and minerals. Um, They've got no idea if they're helping, but they're too scared not to take them. Um, So I think if if that's the route you want to take, it's certainly worth investing in a consultation with somebody who specializes in that area. And then, of course, just things like reviewing your lifestyle. So looking at, I think it's a really good opportunity to look at how am I looking after myself as far as my diet, my exercise, etc., my alcohol intake. If you drink, caffeine can be, you know, can make hot flushes worse, as can spicy food, as can alcohol, etc., etc. So it's a good opportunity to review. Um, And as I say, it's also worth bearing in mind that, you know, not everybody will experience symptoms that have, you know, sort of a severe effect on their quality of life. A lot of people, you know, I've met lots of ladies who've said, oh, I, you know, I didn't really even notice menopause. Um, But, you know, sort of when you work in sort of the area that I do and you specialize in what I do, I'm not really going to see those people. I'm going to see the people who are really struggling. Um, you know, so we have a, I have a private support group on Facebook called the Menopause Support Network. And, you know, and not in a million years did I imagine that we would get to 17,000 members. Um, but, you know, we, I think we've, I think we've got, yeah, just over 17,000 members. And, you know, I, I try to say to people, um, just remember that when you're in this group, 
your inner group with people who are struggling. They're here because they're looking for guidance and support. So you're not seeing, you're not seeing the whole menopause experience. You're only seeing those people who, who are having a tough time. Um, and for some people, as I say, you know, kind of, it's not like that at all. For, uh, does, did the menopause symptoms end at some point? Does your body just say, okay, fair enough. I've got no estrogen. I'm going to live with it after 10 years or so, or does, do they carry mm. on forever? For some people, for mm. some people, it does essentially, essentially those fluctuations settle and then they're asymptomatic. Um, unfortunately for a proportion, they remain symptomatic ongoing. Um, yeah, it, it, again, it's a very, it's a very individual thing. Um, you know, I've met, I've met ladies in their eighties who are still symptomatic. Um, and I've also met people in their fifties who had a very short, very short menopause as in for symptoms, it was a couple of years and it all settled down and that was that. Um, but again, you know, sort of for me, the thing that I would want people to consider is, okay, so now that now that my estrogen is at a completely different level and I'm producing 1% of what I used to produce, now what steps am I going to take to look after my long-term health? Because as you rightly said, we put an awful lot of things down to, or historically have put joint aches and pains you know, kind of all kinds of things down to, oh, well, it's just because I'm getting older. Well, yes, you are getting older, but you're also living without estrogen. Yes, I think one of the, uh, well, I, I don't know what you think about this. One of my reflections on menopause is something to do with um, older women. The older women are generally a bit of a joke. Mm. It's the little old lady idea. And, you know, not really valued in society particularly, I think. Once you're no longer fertile, you're fairly mm. irrelevant. Um, and do you think that has fed into the sort of dismissal of menopause as something that's just a thing and you get over it? Or do you, do you Oh, know? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think 100%. I think, you know, historically... Um, I, th I think it's exactly why we are where we are now, you know, sort of the, as you say, the, the kind of historical perspective on this. And if, if, you know, if we're doing anything at the moment, I hope what we're doing at the moment is I hope we're helping to change that for the future. You know, I, there, all women over 50 are certainly not, you know, little old ladies, you know, what, and I think what we need to see more of is we need to see more of the women who are, you know, they're activists, they're starting businesses, they're climbing mountains, you know, all the amazing things that women do. And I think if, if social media has done anything, then it has done a brilliant job of bringing not just women because there are lots of supportive men too, but bringing women together to essentially say, you know, kind of, okay, so we're here, we're raising our voices together. We're going to make this different for the future. Um, and I think, you know, the idea of 
being able to see more of those women. So, you know, there are there are lots of celebrity women who are now speaking out about their menopause, which is great because if they're willing to speak out about it, it helps other people feel as though they're not alone. And a lot of them have been really candid and really honest about, you know, they've had pretty rubbish experiences as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, sort of, I definitely think that, you know, I often use the phrase, um, you know, that we must be the generation to make menopause matter. And I absolutely believe that. And I think that we are. I think that, you know, kind of this generation of women will change things for the future. And it won't, you know, women will be viewed differently because, you know, people are making sure that that is going to happen. There is a there is a movement, there is a force um, that's moving that says, you know, kind of this, it's ridiculous that we're in this situation and we don't want our daughters, nieces, et cetera, et cetera, to have to experience the same. I want to come back to um, GPs in a second, but what would you say are the positives of menopause are there positives other than stopping your periods <laughs> oh <laughs> no 100 percent. Oh, there are i thought 100%. said no. <laughs> well, that was a quick answer 100 <laughs> percent. absolutely there absolutely are positives um so again it's very individual isn't it um we did a so sophie and i did a whole podcast about this which i think we called the power of no uh, <laughs> and there is there is without a doubt so you know stopping periods so that's often something that is highlighted and for me personally not having periods anymore was marvelous because I had had many years of very, very painful, heavy periods that had, you know, destroyed all kinds of social plans over the years. Um, so for me, that was great. But of course, if you're somebody who is in early menopause or you're somebody who has not had the opportunity to have a family or to complete your family, um, then they're going to feel very differently about that. So it is a, it's a very, very, you know, it's a very personal thing. Um, but positives, oh, absolutely. Um, for me personally, one of the, one of the biggest positives has been, you know, basically I value my own time an awful lot more than I used to. Um, I'm very good now at saying no, um, and meaning it. So, I basically, I don't, I don't do things that I'm not a hundred percent keen to do. So I'm sure that everybody will have had invitations that they've kind of, oh, you know, okay, we, we have to say yes. I don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel that I have to say yes to anything. Um, I think it's, for me, it's been really freeing. Um, I have definitely, you know, sort of, I have found my, I found my campaigner voice. Um, so, you know, kind of that's been, that's been really important for me. And I think like, a, like a lot of people who have had a horrible time in some way, shape or form, you turn that 
pretty traumatic experience into something positive and you don't want other people to go through it. Um, I think there are, yeah, I think there are massive positives to be taken out of it. And I think it's a huge opportunity to, to consider the future as well. So do you think, do you see it on a sort of um, psychological point of view, like your, your mental attitude changed? Do you, and do you think that was um, actually connected to the menopause, the, the physical side of it, or do, you know, in the way that you can have anxiety as a result of menopause, can you also mm. have a growth in confidence mm. as a result, like a loss of anxiety? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'd had a pretty, I'd had a pretty tricky time with hormones um, for a lot of my life, and not having having stability. Mm. So, having a constant, stable level of hormones made quite a significant difference to me. But I also think that on a more, um, whether you would call it a psychological level or a spiritual level, I also think for me, there was definitely what I sort of, um, I often refer to as a drawing away of the veil. So basically the kind of nonsense that I might have put up with before I just don't anymore. And that's wonderful and marvellous and I think is to be embraced. And again, that's me personally. I'm sure other people would feel differently, but I work with an awful lot of women who talk about similar things. You know, we often talk about clearing the clutter of the past or, you know, kind of the postmenopausal spring clean. And sometimes that can be spring cleaning of things or of habits or occasionally of people, um, depending where you are in your life. But I do think that there is definitely a valuing of our own time and doing what doing what we feel is right for us. And I think for a lot of women, they've spent a lot of their lives caring for other people um, and probably have, in many you know, in many respects, embraced that but have maybe come to a stage in their lives where that caring is not their main priority and probably for many of them, you know, their children are grown, et cetera, and there's a bit more space in their lives. And I think that's a really good opportunity to explore perhaps some of those unmet passions, um, maybe to sort of find a, find a new way forward. It sounds like it's your body saying, right, time for a fresh start now. It's a, a time of life. It's mm. the next phase, really. Absolutely. I think that's exact I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's very much about the next phase. But it's also if that phase comes to you naturally in your early fifties, that's one thing. But if that phase comes to you because you've had treatment for cancer in your twenties, that's a very, very different scenario. And I really don't think there can be a broad brushstroke that's <laughs> applied to everybody because it is such an individual thing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, kind of there is there is something hormonal, without a doubt. But I also think that, as I say, I think it is a – if somebody had said to me at the worst time, well, this could be an opportunity – if I'd have had the energy, I probably would have slapped them <laughs> because I felt so low. But having, you know, sort of having worked through it and come through the other side, 
um, I really do think, you know, sort of it is a it is a huge opportunity, but that's very difficult to appreciate when you're having a tough time. Um, there is a time and place for, for considering the opportunity and maybe it's not in the eye of the storm of your symptoms if you're having them. Mm. Uh, what, one thing I wanted to, to just go back to as well is GPs. Did GPs get training in menopause mm. now? <laughs> well, that depends. That that depends who you ask. Um, so I have long been uh, trying to correspond with the Royal College of GPs on this, and what I regularly hear is that well, it's on the curriculum. However, it might be on the curriculum, but I have spoken to many GPs who tell me that they never had any training in menopause. And some of those GPs have just qualified. Um, So I think it's very hit and miss. Um, It depends which medical school you go to. It depends who you do your further training with. Um, There are definitely... There are definitely a growing number of GPs who are recognising that maybe they didn't have their training in menopause and who are doing some continued professional development, and that's really encouraging to see. Um, There are GPs who specialise now in menopause. Um, We do have some uh, National Health Service menopause clinics So they're really intended for women who have a complex medical history. Um, So we have, I think it's between about 50 and 60 throughout the whole country. Um, And if anybody wants to find where their closest one is, you can find your closest one by going to the British Menopause Society website. Um, There's definitely a need for a mandatory module in training, not just for GPs, I believe for all healthcare professionals, because menopause affects so many aspects of our health and well-being that I think it would be good for all. But as GPs are the first port of call for most women, then I think it's absolutely key that GPs have, you know, sort of a basic working understanding. And I also think it's really unfair to GPs not to give them that training because half of their patients are going to be women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably more actually by the time the ones who actually turn up are the often the women. Mm. So would a GP, I, mm. I just want to think about how we fit with um, menopause support. Would a GP recommend someone to come to you or would someone come to you directly? Uh, I think probably most people come to us directly, but I know that there are quite a lot of GPs um, because I write to quite a lot of them for um, for our clients. Um, I know that there are a lot of GPs who are becoming aware of menopause support and what we do. Um, so we had a lady come along recently who had been recommended by her doctor. Um, but I think really it's about, you know, sort of it's about us all working together in the same direction to improve things for women, you know, To be honest, I would love for menopause support to be a completely redundant organisation because if it wasn't needed anymore, that would show that we have achieved our aim. 
Um, and that's not just me. There are, you know, sort of there are lots of people who are working, you know, very hard to try and ensure this happens. But, you know, if I could close the doors and say, okay, we're done, then I would know that we had achieved our aim. Um, and I think there are many people that would agree with that too, who are sort of working in this area. Can you uh, prescribe HRT or would you send someone back to the GP no. with a recommendation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is, so via the support group, which is a free group. Um, so anybody is welcome to, it's a women's only group. So if anybody's welcome to come and join, um, we will offer very generalized information. Um, there's a lot of resources on the menopause support website. So that's menopausesupport.co.uk. Um, but when we do one-to-ones, then essentially we'll, I will talk people through all the possible options available via their GP and then write to their GP um, explaining the conversation that we've had, what the lady would ideally like to try, um, and then it's down to the GP to prescribe. And I have to say, you know, to be fair to them, probably in 95% of cases they do, um, very often I'll get really nice messages back from GPs to say, thank you very much. That was really helpful. Um, I've had a couple in the last few weeks who've got in touch and said, could you make some time for us to have a conversation? I'd like to learn more about this. So that's all really encouraging. Brilliant. Well, Diane, thank you so much for giving me your time. I think you're much in demand, which actually is testimony to what a brilliant job you're doing, because the the better the job you do, the more people hear about you and the more people want to talk to you and uh, find out more from you. So thank you so much for educating me as well as uh, everyone else. It's, It's brilliant. You're doing a brilliant job. Thank you. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for um, taking some time out of your busy day to talk to us today about uh, menopause cafes. Um, I just want to ask, what are menopause cafes? Hi, Claire. They're pop-up events where anybody, doesn't matter what age, what gender, anyone who's interested in menopause can turn up to these pop-up menopause cafe events. Uh, Ideally to drink tea, eat cake and talk about menopause. So there's no speakers, there's no experts, it's just people connecting and sharing their questions, their experiences, their tips, whatever, their knowledge. And how long have they been going for? Oh, just over three years now. We had our first one in June 2017, and we thought that would just be a one-off event. We had no idea um, they would spread, and they've now been hundreds and all over the world, and thousands of people have attended. So there's clearly a need that we tapped into. Absolutely. Yeah. And did you, um, what, what caused you to set, set it up or to do the first one hmm. rather? I remember, I can tell you exactly when I was sitting watching telly in February 2017 and Kirsty Walk had done a documentary called My Menopause and Me. And I was 50 at the time and her programme, and I hadn't had any menopause symptoms or anything. All I knew was menopause, my periods would stop and I might have a hot flush. That was the <laughs> sum total of my knowledge. Claire. I had no idea. So I watched this TV program um, with Kirsty Walk talking about menopause and realised that there's a whole range of psychological and physical effects of menopause I had no idea about. And she showed people talking about it and she said, nobody talks about it. And I thought, she's right. Mm. You know, about half of my friends must have gone through menopause or their, their wives or, or 
um, friends have. And I don't. I hear them talking about their stroppy teenagers when when people were pregnant. They talked about their pregnancy, but it's like this silent thing that half the population are going through. That's yeah. So I, I like to be prepared. I think it comes from being a girl guide. It's like, be prepared. So I, I had this illusion that if I know lots, it will make it easier for me. So that's why I thought, let's hold a menopause cafe and just see who turns up. If there are only five of us, fine. No one else is interested. Um, we'll stop. But there wasn't. There, there were lots. And they all said, when's the next one? And we thought, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you promote it then? How did people find out um, about it? Well, my day job, I work for a counselling and coaching business called Rowan Consultancy in Perth in Scotland. And we already had a social media presence. So that is really how we got, I mean, we did the usual things as well. We put an article in the local paper, we stuck posters up around town in Perth, Scotland, but it was a social media that made the difference because the day after the TV program on the Rowan Consultancy Facebook page, I just said, do you think anyone would be interested in a menopause cafe? You know, like a death cafe, but we're talking about menopause instead of death because we'd run death cafes before. And lo, that was our most popular post, somewhat disappointingly for the business. <laughs> Everyone was going, yes. And crucially, two women, Lorna and Gail, said, we'll help you organise it. I didn't know who they were. Hmm. So, Clay, you know, you have a mad idea one evening, stick it on Facebook, and the next morning people go, do it. We'll help you do it. So that's how it started. I think that's the best way, actually, is just to do one thing and do it soon. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you're trapped in it. It's like shutting up the podcast. You think, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just start it. And uh-huh. then, then there Worry you go. about <laughs> it later. Good for yes, you. Yes, that's right. You have to do the first one and then roll it from there. Yeah. Um, and as a, a, you're a trained counsellor, are you? Or psychotherapist? Uh-huh. What's your... Um, I'm a counsellor, um, mainly Gestalt, CBT. I've been doing it for about 25 years, So, also, but a generalist. You know, I don't specialise mm-hmm. in a particular area. I just specialise in people, whether they present with depression, anxiety, eating disorder. It makes less difference. Mm-hmm. And I started Rowan Consultancy about 20 years ago, so there are about 50 of us counsellors from London to Inverness working there. Because of my counselling and coaching work, I know that it's good to talk. I know the healing power of if you tell someone your troubles and they hear you and accept you and don't try and fix you, but just take you seriously, that this is tough at the moment, that that's really good for us. And that's why I believe in death cafes and menopause cafes. Um, and And also I knew I had the skills to do it because I'd run similar events on death before. So absolutely, I think being heard in a non-judgmental, empathic way helps. And that's what we want at Menopause Cafe. We explicitly say, don't don't come to sell your own wonderful miracle cure for menopause. Mm -hmm. By all means, be really enthusiastic about running and go, yes, running really, really works for me. But don't say, I think everyone should run. Or or say, HRT is brilliant for me, or black cohash, whatever, tea. We really we want people to say, I, this worked for me, mm-hmm. and to hold back from telling everyone else what they should do, because we don't need to be told. Absolutely, yes, yes. And did you find, um, why do you think it is people weren't talking about menopause in advance? And yeah. why was there such a demand for the cafe then, if people hadn't spoken about it? I'm not sure, Claire, but mm-hmm. from my experience, I think sometimes when I mention menopause, the other people get embarrassed and don't know what to say. So I think that's why there's a need for a pop-up event where, you know, you can turn up and talk about menopause and the other people won't be embarrassed. Like this morning, you said, how are you to me? And mm-hmm. I could just go fine. Now, I might, if you, you could say, how are you? I might go, I've got a bit of a cold. 
not many women, when you say, how are you, will go, oh, first day of my period, some of it off, or menopause is playing up again. You know, why not? We'd say if we had a cold. So I think society's not yet accepting. It's getting a lot better, but it's not yet a normal topic of conversation. And that's why we need these special menopause cafes where it's okay to talk without worrying about embarrassing people. How does it work when people come in? Do they sort of gravitate towards the table? I mean, obviously now nothing's happening. But normally. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we have online cafes and we, we have done face to face. So I'll tell you about each one. Mm. So face to face, it's held in a cafe generally because we feel that's an environment where people feel comfortable. It's not like going into a medical centre or community hall. We know about going in a cafe. And when you go in, like you say, you go into a cafe, you go and sit at a table. So people come in, one of us will welcome them at the door, the volunteer host, could be anyone, invite people to sit at tables, threes, fours or fives, and they naturally start talking. But then we formally start it and say, great, welcome everyone. Everyone's welcome. Don't try and persuade anyone of your point of view. You know, let's listen. Um, and learn uh, and start talking so people just start talking and if they're stuck we say start talking about why you're here mm-hmm. um, and every 20 minutes or so we ring a bell and encourage people to get up and move to another table so they can have a different conversation and so it goes on and that's it sometimes at the end we get them all together and say okay guys you know what have you learned or what have you appreciated online it's a bit different we tend to keep those events smaller so you're all in one group generally, mm-hmm. although you can go into breakout rooms. But it's the same format, just rock up and talk. So you could be a young woman, a woman in her 30s who hasn't got a clue but wants to listen. Mm-hmm. There could be an older woman who's been through menopause. There could be a man who's really worried about his wife who was too anxious to come. Or we've had a son in his 20s who wants to know more about menopause because his mum's going through it and she can't talk about it and doesn't know anything. That's very brave of him. <laughs> it was. It's, it's yeah. very brave. I do admire yeah. the men who turn up because to walk into a women-dominated space. But, you know, yes. we women have been walking into male-dominated spaces for a lot of time, so it's not a bad thing. Yes. Yeah. So well, I mean, also you could say, um, particularly people who are struggling with menopausal symptoms, it might be a sort of crowd of people who are all a bit stressed and anxious. Yes, it is. <laughs> going, going into that environment, yeah. going into a den. <laughs> it is. So they, yeah. they need to go in care. And what I love about when men, and they're not many men, they're about 2% of the, mm. of the attend generally we ask or they do it themselves they just stay put on one table so that Mm. when people get up and move the women can choose do I want to sit on a mixed table or am I going to stick to the women only table and that seems to work quite well Mm. Um, how often do they run well (laughs) it depends how often (laughs) we've got energy to run them because we're all volunteers with our other lives so the at the moment the online ones are running about once a week and people can find them. Go to our website, www.menopausecafe.net. Um, and there'll be a list when there are face-to-face events again, there'll be a list of them there as well. But generally, there's a, when, when things are able to go face-to-face, there's at least one a week, if not two. Um, it could be in Wisconsin, it could Connecticut, Australia, you know, wherever, Denmark, Copenhagen, Nairobi. So, yeah, I can't, I can't keep track. It's one of the other volunteers. Helen does a great job. Keeping have they all the been? They've, they've all grown out of the Perth one, have they? Or the international yeah, ones? Yeah, it started here in, in Scotland, so I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And do people come back week after week, or do they find you know once is is enough? 
Um, it varies. Some people just come once and that's enough. They know, oh, thank God, I'm not going mad. I'm not alone. I'm normal. Good. That's all they need. Yeah. <laughs> but um, certainly in the Perth ones and in other ones, you get regulars who come each month, maybe. Um, mm. Sorry, each location will only do it about once a month. I just mean every week there'll be one somewhere in the world. And then, uh, you know, friendships can grow and you end up talking about bigger questions, not just physical symptoms, but what's the point of my life at this stage? You know, I'm no longer growing my career or growing my family or whatever I've been growing. It's like, mm. what is the point? Why am I here? What's important to me? What's my role as an ageing woman in a society that doesn't value ageing? That, you know. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. People Do you find up. that there are, um, like, because we don't talk about menopause very much, are there symptoms that a lot of people have that no one has mentioned elsewhere do you do you find there's a sort of very common yeah, occurring but, um, symptoms vaginal dryness doesn't get mentioned because people don't mention vaginas i, I think mm -hmm. that's the only reason why um hot flushes are far more okay to talk about but there are also other things like itchy skin that people don't mention because they just don't realize that itchy skin or electric shocks could be linked um electric so, shocks yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Apparently you can be more susceptible oh, well, to them. When you touch something yeah. and it gives you an electric oh. shock. Oh, right. Who knew? Gosh. So, Golly. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's such a wide range of possible symptoms. It can either be reassuring. Like, for me, my brain, my memory is going. I mm. used to just remember stuff. Now I have to write it down. Um, and, of course, before I worried if that was early Alzheimer's, then I was uh -huh. really glad to discover it was a menopause symptom. But, you know, it might be Alzheimer's and I'm just thinking it's menopause so it's a whole range but yeah I think vaginal dryness doesn't get talked about because people don't talk about vaginas much um, mm. but it can cause discomfort in general like anything that's dry and there are lubricants and things one can put on moisturizers but also it can affect your sexual relationships and I, mm. I find it very sad that women and men can't talk about that or women and women and just be a bit more experimental in different ways to have sexual pleasure. If it's all focused on penetrative sex and there's a dry vagina and nobody will go and get a lubricant or a moisturiser, you know, that's that's tragic, I think. Mm. Unless your libido's gone, which is another menopause symptom, in which case you'll be quite happy. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, with um, with the cafes, if someone wants to set one up, how mm -hmm. do they go about I'll it? Get in touch with us. So go to the website, www.menopausecafe.net. And on there, we've got a guide to setting up your own menopause cafe. You need to read through the guide and sign a working agreement with us to say you abide by our principles. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise people might set up cafes to try and sell their own menopause solution. Menopause has become a business in an industry. So you read through the guide, sign the working agreement and send it to us. And then we will send you, you know, publicity posters, all sorts of stuff and list you on our website. So, yeah. Right. OK. OK, great. And and with your experience, because you'd you'd watched that program before you were really sort of into it. Have things been OK for you during the menopause? I don't know if they've been OK, but they've been manageable. I'm I'm quite lucky, I think, compared to some women whose lives just get put on hold. I think it's about 20 percent of women who are. Um, really restricted by their symptoms. You know, they give up their jobs, they can't do the things they used to do, they feel anxious and depressed. About 20 of us sail through happy days, mm -hmm. no periods, no contraception, what's the problem? And most people are somewhere in the middle. So for me, yeah, I've noticed my memory's worse. Um, gosh, what else have I noticed? I've had some vaginal dryness, 
but lubricants are great. Um, I don't think I've had... Oh, I have had the occasional hot flush. I had my first one on World <laughs> Menopause Day this year, which was... Oh, really? I, or maybe I only noticed it because I'm on... It was, I'm quite a cold person usually, so it was just like, mm. oh, I'm feeling warm, that sort. So, no, I've got away lightly um, myself. But because yes. of Menopause Cafe, I have done crazy things like taking up running. Because of Menopause Cafe, I know how my bones could be affected, and there's osteoporosis in my family, and I know how it can affect my heart. Ah. So it, it's made me exercise, which is something I never did before, and made me and think about eating healthily. Yeah. So did you pick that up in conversation with other people? Is it sort of self uh, self advising? Um, no, I picked it up. We haven't. We started the world's only menopause festival. So every mm-hmm. year in Perth. Uh, next year it will be online we have flush fest which is a menopause festival and that's where i heard dr laura jarvis talking about the effects on bone density and on heart health plus i, I inevitably ended up yeah looking on websites and yes things. but nobody notices their bones are going brittle so it doesn't tend to come up in conversation until it's too late so yeah flush fest is where i learned a lot oh yeah no tell us more about flush fest oh well in menopause cafes, you just talk to each other. There's no expert, but we, dis- which is why we can disseminate it throughout the world and anyone can set it up. You don't need to know much about menopause. But we found there was a need for people to hear talks and also a need to celebrate and have fun because menopause can be all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. And it's not all doom and gloom. We can have a laugh as well as suffer. So Menopause Festival goes on for two days each year in spring. It starts with an afternoon on menopause at work, where we have speakers to do with the workplace, menopause policies, good practice in the workplace. And then we have comedy in the evening or a film or cabaret. And the next day we have a talk from a medic like Dr. Jarvis, um, a talk from some woman who's been through her menopause, and then loads of creative workshops, sculpture, belly dancing, poetry, Mm. creative. You have to express yourself. And I think that's one good thing about this stage in life. Some of us particularly mothers who've had kids, now could be the first time in our lives we've actually got a bit of time mm-hmm. to think about us and be creative. Yeah. Sounds really good fun. It sounds it really good is. fun. How are you, how's the online version shaping up? Well, we're just figuring that out. I'm talking to someone this week. They will film it. People can just buy a ticket online. It's usually about 10 or 15 quid, so it's not much, and log on. And then it's great. You can go to the breakout networking area and just sit on tables with about four other people and chat in the mm-hmm. breaks which is what I miss in normal online conferences this online conference you'll be able to chat to people in small groups and then you click a button to go to the main stage area and you can watch the speakers and choose which workshop you want to go to we're not sure how the Egyptian belly dancing will work but I, <laughs> I reckon it could be better you'll you won't feel embarrassed because no one can see you <laughs> you, can, right. do your you can turn your camera off can't you that's yeah. right and yeah. you can watch the teacher and she's leading the workshop and you can ask questions so yeah uh, we don't know if the answer how it's going to work online but it's it will work it will be good i think it will well we've just had the um, mothers at home matter conference oh. online and people really enjoyed it and lots oh. more people were able to join it yes before that's, yeah. Thank you. That's a really good. We're in Perth and Scotland. Not many people can come that yes. far. Yeah. If it's online. So April the 30th and May the 1st, 2021 are the dates. And right. the details right. are on the website. Yeah. Well, that yeah. can go worldwide, can't it? It'll yeah. Be, and it'd be a lovely connection for people to 
to meet up and talk, well, meet online yeah. and talk uh-huh. about it. So, yeah, I think they're working all right, these these online conferences. Huh. You lose something, but you gain sure. You gain other things. People. Yes. You know, I think that's, that's true of all sorts of things in life at the moment, is you lose something, mm. but if you look carefully, there's a silver lining or you gain something as well. Yeah. Yes, you've got to look for the good that's going to mm. come out of something, the opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have taken. Um, that's right. You have to have a positive attitude, don't you? <laughs> and just to uh, ask you about you, because you're very busy, you're working, you've got children um, mm. and you've set this up. How do you yeah. structure your time? How how did you shoehorn this in? Was it because you didn't realise how much time it would take? <laughs> well, yes, I just thought it one <laughs> evening in June. And yeah. um, well, I couldn't do it without the other volunteers on the committee. It's not a one-person mm-hmm. show. It wouldn't work. So I think getting other people in the committee involved, um, who are all volunteers, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Menopause Cafe took off around the time our youngest child was about to leave home. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have had energy in my life to do work, voluntary work and kids. Mm-hmm. I think I can manage two of those at any one time. So for many decades, it was just work and kids. And then as the kids grew up and started leaving, I, it's now work and voluntary work, which is Menopause Cafe. Um, and, and I also wanted to ask if that you had any case studies or stories of people who've come to the cafe who've said it oh. really helped them. Yeah, I can think of a few. I probably mentioned them already. So one was a 36-year-old woman who came along just a few weeks ago. Um, These people have given permission for me to share their stories. They've written them down with their (laughs) names, but I'm not going to mention their names, probably because menopause fog means I've forgotten them. So there was a (laughs) 36-year-old woman who wrote to me recently and she'd come along and was just amazed because she had no idea. And she feels better now. Well, she feels worried now, (laughs) but she feels better that she knows what might happen rather than walking into menopause Mm -hmm. completely without knowing what's going on and being shocked. Um, so that means if she wants to, she said she she can prepare a bit like mm-hmm. I did by starting to live a bit more healthily because that protects you against a lot of symptoms. Um, but also she said she felt quite humbled, um, as did the man who I'll talk about in a moment, listening to women talking about what they live with and go through while holding down their jobs and juggling their families. And the other one was a man in his, I think, early 30s, late 20s, who went along for the sake of his mother-in-law who was suffering from the menopause and she was far too anxious to go to anything it was at work we hold menopause cafes at work in the workplace so maybe that made it easier for him to turn up we hold them in the lunch break anybody who wants to hold one at work get in touch with us loads of companies have so he went along it was on the staff you know in service conference day and there were a variety of workshops and this one caught his eye so he went to it and he wrote a long letter saying how much it had helped him and how he could pass the information on to his mother-in-law and mother and fiancé and any woman he knew who could just say, my God, I had no idea what you're going through, you know. And and he listened to his colleagues. Can you imagine that? His older colleagues, mainly women in their 40s and 50s, talking about how their symptoms affected them. And he, he sat and listened. And I think there's something quite beautiful about when the men come in a humble frame of mind and listen. Mm. It uh, sounds very restorative for the people telling their stories yeah. to have someone listen and uh, take it on board. I think the thing that surprised me the most as I've been looking into it is the um, the mental symptoms, the, mm. the anxiety. Yeah, that's really strange. That's that's never really that never really makes it out into the public eye. No, it's odd because we all know that teenagers have got hormone fluctuations and their moods go all over the place, don't they? Mm. So it's very similar at this other end of the med arcade when our, our periods are finishing. 
and our hormones are going all over the place. That's why we get hot flushes. Mm. That that will hormones affect our mood. You know, it's almost like why wouldn't it? But like you, I hadn't thought of that before. So yeah, a lot of particularly confident professional women lose their confidence, or women who've juggled children at home, and we know what that multitasking is like, can lose their confidence. People get anxious. They don't want to go out. They don't want to meet people. And COVID isn't helping that because we're mm. getting more used to staying indoors. Um, or or depression. People just feel gloomy, and what, and I think that ties in with what society tells us about women getting older. Because in some societies, there are far fewer of the psychological issues. They're still there. Mm. But I think our society exacerbates them because of this whole idea that getting old is bad and one should pretend still to be young, cover up wrinkles, cover up grey hair. That's all the marketing messages. So no wonder when you think mm. you're getting old, you think it's a bad thing. In societies where they honour older women or the elderly, it's... The symptoms aren't as severe. So do you think it's a mixture of um, the hormonal change affecting the brain and the uh, cultural yes, I think so. that we're in? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. So people are sort of their brains aren't prepared, are or sort of in a state where they're going to be wounded by concepts coming at them. That's it. Nicely put, would be more sensitive to someone say saying, "Why don't you dye your hair? You'd look younger." Whereas maybe before it would have brushed that off. But if your hormones are all over the place, you're more sensitive to all these messages saying yeah. you're past it. That's why I love it when older women turn up to the cafes mm. who've been through it and who go, "There's life after menopause." You can yes, wear purple yeah. and not care what people think. Do you know, <laughs> particularly mothers who have spent decades, oxytocin is one of the hormones, mothers can spend decades putting their children first or their work first mm -hmm. or their partner first. During menopause, the oxytocin hormone that makes us put others first decreases. So mm -hmm. we're more inclined to go, stuff them, they can look after themselves. Or what about me? And although yeah. that's painful and can be upsetting, I think it's quite exciting too. But can you hear the ambiguity? On the one hand, the oxytocin drops and we don't care what other people think. But on mm. the other hand, some people get more anxious and are more mm. sensitive and care more about. Do you, that's the transition phase. Once you've come through the menopause, I think you're into mm. the caring. So it's full of contradictions. It's different for every woman. A bit like pregnancy. Mm. It's different for every woman. And I, I guess you sort of lose a bit of your bargaining chip, which is your youth, that you've lost your sort of innate mm. attractiveness to other people. So you've got to rely on other things. So you might be more more anxious in a way. That, uh, you could be. But those of us who are never that attractive to start with, it's great. <laughs> it's a level playing field. Know. Do you know, we always knew it was our character and personality that made people like us. And it's like... I, I quite like that. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's a ridiculous thing that wisdom, you know, as people get older, they do get wiser, but yeah. but no one really values that. There's, well, you know, let's yeah. change that. I think that's mm. what Menopause Cafe is, a small part of the big thing of let's value wisdom and getting older. Well, mourning yeah. the loss of, you know, I've got a hamstring injury, that's a pain. You know, there are bodily <laughs> things that I don't like about getting older, like mm -hmm. slowing aches and pains. So it's a heck of a lot of good wisdom and experience and going slower yeah yes well i think that's a great place to stop thank you very much rachel okay. that, was, that was really lovely talking with you thank you welcome i enjoyed it well i hope you found that enlightening encouraging 
possibly a bit worrying, but uh, at least we all know where to go for support now. Um, I, can I really recommend uh, Diane's podcast, which is called Menopause, colon, The Good, The Bad and The Downright Sweaty. Um, and also uh, that book emboldened um, about menopause conversations. So um, I'll put some links in the show notes to the podcast, to the make hashtag make menopause matter campaign which um it'd be great if everyone could sign and uh, menopause support which is diane's uh, company and uh for, to the menopause cafe the flush fest 2021 well we're really out of time for um general chatting about the world uh if you'd like to follow me on uh, facebook or instagram i'm mothers matter podcast on twitter it's at podcast mothers uh, my email is mothers matter at outlook.com um i'd love to hear any feedback you've got i think i could even cope with negative feedback at this stage but uh, yes a lovely uh, positive feedback back would be very much welcomed um, my name's claire pay uh, if you're on a podcast app where you can rate and review the podcast that would be brilliant um, and thank you to james ead my producer and i'll be back hopefully very soon with another podcast bye bye